Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. And today in my office, I have my assistant, Kevin Noor. Hey, guys. I have our deacon of Sacred City Youth, Alex Tate. How's it going, guys? And we are going to kick this off today um, talking about our new sermon series. So a little bit going uh, beyond the sermon. We started um, our new series on liturgy, why we do what we do on Sunday. And um, so we want to kind of chop it up a little bit, talk about it, ask any questions, maybe go uh, beyond the sermon if we've got some some questions. Um, uh, One of, in the past 10 years of ministry, one of the most common questions that I've gotten is, why do we do what we do? Why do we worship the way we do? Why do we use a more formalized liturgy with a profession of faith and with, you know, confession of sin and absolution? And people have asked me, why do you chant? What is all the chanting about? Um, As opposed to what's kind of more common today is maybe what seems to be a lot more informal um, worship gathering without, you know, specific pieces um, you know, a stress, maybe a specific structure. So, so that's what we're talking about. Liturgy, why we do what we do. Um, well, guys, what do you, what do you think? Uh, thoughts from the sermon yesterday. I just loved how you, um, pretty much were just kind of breaking through. I never looked at liturgy this way. It is that liturgy tells a story. Um, are you telling the story of God? Or are you telling the story of the world? And I thought that was really good. And I liked how you were talking through, um, the baseball analogy, how we should, um, how we're getting prepared and we're getting prepped and we're getting um, taught how to do things in liturgy of practice, and then we're going out in the games and expressing that. And I thought that was just a great example. I think in the first service you used Brent Norwood, yeah. um, and then the second service you used the baseball <laughs> analogy, and I feel like the baseball analogy was just really sticky um, of what we we're talking about through liturgy. So Yeah, I did. So I did make that, um, that switch there. Um, when we were talking about the worship gathering on Sunday morning of God's people, that it's not just expressive, us expressing our worship to God, mm-hmm. but it's also formative. It's forming us in some way. And I said, if we think of, too many people think of Sunday morning, like and the analogy was like the baseball game. Mm-hmm. In a baseball game, you go out there and you express yourself. You're yeah. expressing you know, your teamwork. You're expressing your individual skills. Everything you worked on for the last, whatever, 10 years of your life, basically, you go and you just ex- you, you get creative out mm-hmm. in the field and at bad and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Sunday morning's not like that. Sunday morning's more like baseball practice when you're just throwing the ball over and over and over and over again, or you're swinging the bat over and over, or you're turning a double over and over, you're actually forming the, the neural, you know, the, the link between your brain and your body, right? Mm-hmm. You're forming that connection and you're making these connections where it's like almost automatic yeah. for you, you know? Like a major league baseball player, it's when he gets hit, if he's a second baseman, he gets hit a, a, a grounder, it is automatic, right? If there's a, runner on first, automatic for him to turn to. Why? Because he's so formed in his practice. Yeah. Right? And so for us, Sunday morning, 
is when we're worshiping God, it's meant to be formative. It's meant to be practiced for us so that when we go out in the world, that's our game day. We're actually going to reflexively confess our sins, reflexively profess our faith, reflexively share the gospel. Yeah. It reflexively give glory to God. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you kind of flipped the script on that, um, where a lot of people come into Sunday morning and they see that as their game day, that as their big performance for the week. And I like how you walked out that, no, that's, that's training, that's practice, and then we're released. And then I really liked, um, you broke down the three Old Testament offerings and how they correspond to the worship. And that wasn't something that I'd ever learned, that I'd ever known. And so that was, I mean, that was just really interesting for um, really proving the continuity of Scripture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and even, so the continu- continuity of Scripture, the story that the gathering should tell. Mm. So three Old Testament um, offerings, you know, we had the guilt offering, mm-hmm. the, the ascension offering, which is sometimes called the burnt offering, and then the, uh, basically the, fel- what's the last one called? Peace offering. Peace offering. So it's the yeah. fellowship offering or peace offering. And three distinct offerings that a person is meant to go from like guilty sinner into the presence of God, sitting down at a meal mm-hmm. at peace with him. So it's like almost like three aspects. Well, Jesus has taken the place of all three of those offerings, mm-hmm. but the story still remains the same. And this is what we're, we're called to be a living sacrifice, right? A living sacrifice. Right. Um, and we're even called to offer up sacrifices of praise. Mm-hmm. And that sacrificial langu- language goes back to that same story, that same liturgy, that same narrative of going from guilt to a meal. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happens in our Sunday gathering is we come in as, you know, we're sinners. We've, we've sinned throughout the week and we come in and then we're, we're, we're being called into worship and we're confessing our sins. We're being absolved of our sins. We're responding in faith uh, to the preaching of God's word. Our worship is even going up into God's nostrils. Literally, it's a burnt offering going up into God's nostrils. And we're caught up with the great cloud of witnesses in our worship, literally what they're doing in heaven. And then by the end of the service, we're sitting down in the peace offering. We're sitting down having a meal, which is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so that our ga- liturgy literally you know, tells that story week in and week out. Yeah. I think it was good too how you uh, really just kind of you sucked everybody in and talked about how everyone has a liturgy. You think you can like mm-hmm. speak to that a little bit? Um, because I think you hit on it just for a moment to suck us in, but um, it was it was really good how you did that. So, because we every human being has been created to worship God, we're all always worshiping, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And what happens is, whatever you worship, your life will take a liturgical shape around that thing. Right. So your habits and your practices, your daily rhythms will take shape around whatever that is you worship. So if you worship money, your liturgy will be set up to get money on your mind, money in your heart, and money in your hand. And so you wake up, and you're going to be grinding from the get-go. You're going to be reading self-help books. You're going to be listening to podcasts. You're going to be listening to YouTube videos that motivate you and get you going. You're going to be reading money books, investment books, Mm -hmm. real estate books, Mm -hmm. Whatever it is to make your crap, because your whole goal in life is is to get money. Yeah, that's what. So your life takes the shape of that, right? Um, 
And then what happens is then you begin to treat every person like a consumer. You treat every person like a product. You treat every person like a potential uh, customer, yeah. right? And because your world, your God is money, and so you treat everybody like a consumer. Yeah. And, and yeah, and so, and then same thing. You, um, if you worship your children, your life will be consumed with their activities and their needs and their stuff and their, you know, and it won't be loving them and serving them because you love God and you're obedient to God. Your life will take the shape of worship around your children and you'll eventually probably crush your children yeah. or push them away yeah. in mm-hmm. some way. And so, um, people are figuring this out. You know, there's different guys out there right now, like writing a lot about habits and, and, and practices and, your daily rhythm of life shapes basically who you are. People are going back to stoicism and people are going back to, you know, like atomic habits and these different things that, um, and basically they're getting, what they're getting at is your people, people sometimes think like your thoughts determine everything in your life Mm -hmm. and thoughts are important, but your habits affect your habits also affect what you think about and what you love and what you, what you want. And so, um, so, so we could say it like this. If you say you love God and yet your daily rhythms and your daily practices and weekly rhythms and weekly practices don't put God at the center of your life, you are lying to yourself. Yeah. Like you don't love God. Mm -hmm. But if you say, I don't really love God that much but you set your life up in such a way that you put God at the center of your day on a daily basis and you put God at the center of your week on a weekly basis and God is the center of your calendar, then you are more likely to actually love God than the person who says they love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeah, yeah. Because our actual daily practices shape what we value, shape what we love. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is, this is really... Um, in uh, Jamie Smith's book, uh, Desiring the Kingdom, mm-hmm. if you remember that book, yeah. he talks a lot about how our our liturgies shape what we love, yeah. you know, and how um, the mall gets that, mm-hmm. right? And uh, think about the movie theaters. Even the movie theaters get that. You know, you go in there and you got the smell and you... Many times we, we don't even eat pop... We can buy popcorn for like 20 cents <clears throat> at home. But maybe we don't make popcorn very often. But when we go to the movie theaters, yeah. we're like, for sure, we're getting popcorn and a big old pop. Oh, yeah. Even though it's $40. <laughs> you know what for I mean? Sure. We're getting it. It's part of the rhythm. It's part of the liturgy. Mm-hmm. It's part of enjoying enjoying the movie. You yeah. know what I mean? For, for many people. Mm-hmm. it's And so going to see the movie on the, mo- on the big screen, it's a liturgy, right? Mm-hmm. Some people walk in. I remember my I had this real, my best friend, and he unfortunately passed away about 15 years ago. He was the most frugal guy with his money. But every time he would go to the movies, he would buy this big old popcorn, this big old Coke, these M&Ms. He'd pour the M&Ms into his popcorn. Let's go. And he I'm like, it out. <laughs> I'd be like, bro, you are so frugal, man. Yeah. You are so frugal. But when he, goes to the pop, when he goes to the movies, he wasn't. So it was just a liturgy, mm-hmm. you know? And our families have liturgies. Our homes have liturgies. Mm-hmm. Our businesses have liturgies. Yeah. Our daily life has, has liturgies. Our church has liturgies. And so... The question is, does your liturgy put God at the center of all things, yeah. you know? That's good. So if the answer is no, how do you go about changing your liturgy, especially if it's deeply ingrained in your habits? 
Well, depends on where you're at. Mm-hmm. So this is why we need we need to uh, we need someone discipling us. Mm-hmm. So we need an MC leader or we need an elder or a deacon. We need somebody we can go to and say, "Hey, my life isn't God-centered." Mm-hmm. And here, here's the re- here's the reality. Many people claim to be Christian and yet their liturgy isn't God-centered. So you need to go to somebody that knows what they're stinking talking about. Yeah. Right? And this is more than just starting your day with a with the Bible. It's you should start your day with the Bible for sure. But it's it's more than that. Mm-hmm. It's like people that say um, hey, do you want our city to be a better place? Yes, I do. Do you think it's a good thing to serve the poor? Yes, I do. How often do you do that? Uh, um, well, yeah, and they start hem and hawing, yeah. right? As opposed to, like, for my MC, we have a month, at least once a, one thing a month on the calendar where we're going to serve Hope at the Brick House, mm-hmm. right? And if, if you really came to say to me, how important is it to serve the poor? I would... If I was answering honestly, I, I would say, well, the Bible tells us to. Mm-hmm. I know it should be important, but if you really talk to me most of the time, it's not that important to mm-hmm. me. Like in my real life, it's not that important to me. What's really important to me is preaching the gospel and shaping my kids and all this other stuff. Really going to serve the poor of our city, it's not that important to me. But guess what? Once a month, my missional community has it on the calendar. Mm-hmm. And so once a month, me and my family on a Friday night, when I don't feel like it, because Fridays are using my days off, I don't feel like it, we pile into the van and we go serve the poor and I don't do it with a bad attitude and all that kind of stuff. We have a good time and we enjoy it, we, we enjoy it once we're there and doing it yeah. and we're glad we did it once we leave. But I, it's just on the calendar and I just do it, right? So theoretically, let's just say 10, let's say I miss two a year because I'm on vacation or whatever. That's 10 times a year. That's not an astronomical number, mm-hmm. but for most people who would say, Serving the poor is super important. Everyone should do it. How often do you do it? Uh, and, right. and honestly, it's probably never. Yeah. Right? But if you set your life liturgy up in such a way, it you're actually serving the poor 10 times as much, yeah. even when your heart is not in it. Mm. You know? Yeah. So there's this powerful, uh, there's this powerful reality of of setting up a liturgy that actually can reach back in and and change your heart, you know? And, at the same time while you're, while you're doing it. Yeah. So you're saying like you could be a Pharisee the whole time and continue to just to do things um, and then your heart will change because you have this liturgy? Yes. No. well, let me just say, hold on. I'm not saying, I'm not saying doing it. Pharisee is not just doing it because it's a right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Pharisees were hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Pharisees wanted to be seen as good, yeah. wanted to be seen as holy. Like mm-hmm. that was what Jesus got at, right? right? Jesus said, do what, remember when he was rebuking the Pharisees, do what they do, right? Do what they do, but don't just, or do what they say, do what mm-hmm. they say, right? They were teaching the right, some of the right things, even with the, with the tithes and offerings. Yeah, 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 continue with that, but don't forget the weightier things like love and justice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, totally. Jesus tells the parable. There's one, par- one guy goes, hey, Jesus says, go, I can't remember what he tells him to go. Go, go do something. Mm-hmm. And one son says, yeah, I'll do it right away. Mm-hmm. And doesn't do it. And the other son goes, no, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then changes his mind and goes and does it. He's the guy that Jesus commends. Mm-hmm. The one who actually did it. Right? Yeah. Even though he said at first he wasn't going to do it, Jesus commends him because he actually did it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 
we don't, we're not the type of people that wait until our heart is in it until mm-hmm. we do it. Yeah. We do it and ask the Lord to put our heart in it. Right. Just like loving your wife. Yeah. Like, hold on. What, what, what you getting out right here? <laughs> yeah. So do you love your wife when you don't feel like it? Yeah, of course. Right. And you could say, well, you're doing it like a Pharisee. Well, no, you're not. You're doing it like a Christian who knows his heart should be in it, but it's not in it. And you set your life up in a way where you reflexively love your wife, even though you don't feel like it. And so that's what one of the things that's wrong with our generation right now. The young generation is they're they're check their emotions every time they decide if they're going to do something. They got to have a good vibe before they do something. Yeah. (laughs) If you ain't got, if I don't have a vibe, I'm not going. Mm -hmm. If I don't feel like it, I'm not going. Instead of making up in your mind, I'm going to be this type of person, a person that serves the poor, because Jesus tells me to, and I know that it's the right thing to do. So when the day comes, it doesn't matter how I feel. Mm-hmm. I'm going. Yeah. We're going. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Sunday morning church. How strange it is for people to wake up in the morning and have to make a decision. Oh, should, I, should we go this week? Husbands and wives look at each other. Should we go this week? Kids go to their parents. Dad, are we going to church this week? What a strange decision. Mm-hmm. If you're a Christian, that shouldn't be a decision. Yeah. That decision should be made years ago. Right, right. As soon as you come to faith, the decision is, we're going to missional community. We're going to Sunday, week in and week out. There's no more decision to be made. In our house, we will serve the Lord. (laughs) Choose this day. We chose that day. That day was way back. We're not choosing every Sunday whether we go to worship or not. Like, bizarre to me. Absolutely bizarre, you know? Um, And it's because I think we have worldly mindsets. We haven't renewed our mind. Our mind is not. Uh, been transformed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why, go ahead. Why is it important for people to recognize that every church and every person has liturgical rhythms? Well, definitionally, first, we need to understand that some people just say, like, our church is liturgical. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, the funny complaint people get to give to me is they say things like, well... It's the same week in and week out. It's going to be formulaic. It's going to be rote. It's, you know, you just kind of, there's no spirit there. You know, you're not trusting the spirit. But if you've ever been to a charismatic church, you realize that after you're there a couple months, oh, oh, this is how we do things. Every church has a liturgy. It's just, we do ours on purpose and we shape it around the gospel on purpose. Many um, churches just do something like, you know, two fast songs, three slow songs, or three fast songs, two slow songs. And then it's kind of like pragmatic. Okay, well, we need to do the announcements. Oh, we need to take offering. Okay, now we're going to maybe do a special song or something. And then the pastor is going to get up there and preach. And, um, and then after the sermon, he's, he's going to give an altar call or mm-hmm. something. Maybe we'll play another song. Well, that's still a liturgy. Mm-hmm. It's just what what's determining the shape of your... What's determining the liturgy? What's determining the shape of your service? It, is it just pragmatism? You know, just what, what, what you have to get through, what you work, uh, what works for you? Because here's the thing. The Bible tells us to dedicate ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. That's why we read Scripture. And we have a Scripture reader every week. The Bible tells us to do that. I think the Bible tells us to have the Lord's Supper every single week. Um, 
Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another. You know, so the Bible is full of calls to worship for the corporate yeah. body of believers. Like yeah. half the book of Psalms or something, not half, but almost, is some kind of call to worship. Yeah. You know? Um, Acts 2 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' the apostles' teaching, the prayers, mm-hmm. the prayers, not praying, the prayers, mm-hmm. liturgical prayers, prayer, the Psalms, prayers that they had memorized and they were using in the public gathering, right? The breaking of bread, the apostles' teaching, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so we see this pattern in the New Testament. We see the pattern in the Old Testament. And so I just think we need to do it on purpose, mm-hmm. right? Every, serve, every church has a liturgy. It's just, is it man-centered? Is it God-centered? Um, you know, is it take the shape of the gospel? Does it take the shape of, of something else? Mm-hmm. You know, consumerism. Many churches are just based on the con- con- consumeristic mindset. Um, we want it to feel like a concert, and then we want it to feel like a TED Talk. No, no, it's like this. First, we want it to feel like a coffee shop. Mm. Then we want it to feel like a, wor- you know, like a concert. Then we want it to feel like a TED Talk. And then we want it to feel like a coffee shop again. Complete consumerism. They want good vibes. That's it. That's all they want. And it's not like, oh, are we trying to get sinful people in the presence of a holy God? Well, what does it take to get sinful people in the presence of a holy God? Uh, it takes the gospel. Mm-hmm. So we better share that. We better, and maybe our gathering should actually be centered around that, where we're calling people to repentance every single week and we're absolving them of their sins. And I think it was Spurgeon said, um, when the gospel is preached, it should sh- it should sound like a cannon going off. Mm-hmm. Like it shouldn't. It's a gospel isn't just a whisper in the wind that nobody notices. A gospel should sound like a bomb going off. Yeah, you know what I mean. And many churches just assume the gospel and they give a little self help, moralistic, therapeutic, deistic pep talk that just sounds like an Oprah Winfrey, you know, pat on the back rather than the gospel going off, declaring you dead in your sin, trespasses and sins, and then resurrecting you to new life mm. in, in, in Christ. Yeah. So how does the pastoral welcome draw us into that conversation with God, with the preaching of the gospel? Why don't you answer that, Alex? You heard the sermon. Don't make me re-preach my sermon. How does the pastoral welcome serve, serve the purpose of, you know, of the liturgy on Sunday morning? I mean, I think for sure it's uh, a part of um, everyone's coming in with heavy burdens. Every A lot of people are weary and frustrated from the week, um, but at the same time, there's good news um, throughout, you know, being weary and, and having heavy burdens where you can see um, that Christ gives you hope, that there's going to be peace, there's going to be joy mm-hmm. um, throughout this sermon, but at the same time, you're going to be able to hear the good news. Yeah. How would you add to that, Kevin? I mean, you said it in your sermon, our souls through the week reset from grace back to law. And so we come in feeling the burden of not being good enough. And the welcome draws us in and reminds us that in our own power, in our own strength, we're not. But we're being called into the presence of one who is. I think you said it. It helps us reboot us towards God. Mm -hmm. And when you said reboot, I'm like, oh, that's that's so good. That's so good to hear that. Yeah, I got a personal example of that during the sermon. So listen to this, guys. So first sermon, I get up there to preach. 
And uh, while I start my sermon, pops up on my iPad, 10% battery remaining. <laughs> Uh-oh. Now, listen, here's the deal. It was plugged in all night, and I, and I knew, like, so I was like, what? But I can't stop, so I'm just, I'm like, oh, man, I hope I can make it through this. Mm-hmm. I preach. I get down. I have, I text my wife to bring my cord. She's coming to the second service. I text, I call Alex um, Tate here. He's got the similar iPad, so he went to get his charger for me in between services. We plug it in. It won't charge. It literally won't charge. And someone, of course, right there goes, hey, you should probably just reboot it and try it again. I shut it down, turned it back on, bing you know, it, it starts charging. So obviously it had some kind of update or something that needed to be reset and then reapplied or re- reinstalled or mm-hmm. whatever. And then it would, re- and then it would stink and it would charge. Yeah. Well, our souls are just like that. Yeah. You know, we get reset to me-centered, we get reset to self-focused. We get reset set to you prove yourself and works-based righteousness. And we need to come in and hear right away from the pastoral welcome that we can let the guard down. Yeah. And we need to be tuned to grace yeah. and reset, rebooted to the great to run off the grace of Jesus. Yeah. And not our own works. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. And I just maybe this is just uh, for me because I'm I'm preaching the word um, each week on Wednesdays and then I fill in from you from time to time. But you kind of started off just kind of reading through Psalms 146, 1 through 14, and then you switched over and then you really exegeted Romans 12, 1, 2. So what made you just want to read that to let everybody know um, where you were coming from and then switch over to really exegeting Romans 1? Yeah, it was I was trying to make the decision. <clears throat> And I think I just wanted to, I wanted to, I needed to make an introduction mm-hmm. and then go into the pastoral welcome. So I needed to introduce the ser- the series and then talk about the pastoral welcome, which is the first piece of it. And so I, I was literally just said, so what are we doing here? What is it that we're gathering together to do right. on Sunday morning? And that was that 146 or 148 or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was, we're here to praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you know, and that right. just praise the Lord, the mountains, praise the Lord, sea creatures, praise the Lord, angels, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We're here to praise, we're here to praise the Lord, but yeah. we're to praise the Lord in accordance with our nature. So uh, mountains praise the Lord by just being there. Yeah. But because we're made in the image of God, we praise the Lord by ga- one of the ways corporately by gathering together and expressing his praises in the way that he wants to be praised right yeah. and then so we went to Romans 12 to look at how does God want to be praised and we saw two things there <clears throat> he wanted um, or maybe three I can't remember how many had, but he wanted to be praised rationally mm-hmm. Like we don't disconnect our heads, that um, reasonable worship or spiritual worship, that word, Greek word for reasonable was logikos, which means illogical or reasonable or rational. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> the word of, for worship is latria, which is where we get liturgy from. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, then we, and then we went up to the, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice, went back to the Old Testament sacrifice, the story of the gospel. So the, the, the point is, if you say, why do we do what we do on Sunday morning? It should make sense. And it should be done. It should be holy and um, acceptable. acceptable, holy and acceptable, right? <clears throat> not. And they said, "Don't be conformed to this world." So it should not. The the gathering shouldn't feel like 
this world. Mm-hmm. It should feel like Christ's kingdom. Yeah. yeah. And it should um, take on the shape of the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. That, that should, lo- I mean, that, that's what's logical. That's what's rational. That should make sense to us. <clears throat> yeah. um, and many churches, you know, charismatic churches, they disconnect their head and they come in and it's just a bunch of wild wildness and it doesn't make sense at all. Right. And then, um, you know, um, it just threw me off because, like, I mean, I've been under you for a while, and I'm like, you normally exegete the text. Like, what's, what's going on? Why would he do that? So it, it really, like, as you break that down, it helps me, like, be inside your mind as you're kind of doing your sermon prep. And Yeah, and I didn't want to just go right into pastoral welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Like, I have to introduce the sermon series and, like, and then even, like, what what's the big picture of what we're doing? Yeah. Right? <clears throat> what does it mean to praise the Lord? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I talked about everybody kind of has their own idea what that looks like, you know, walking in the, from walking in the woods to whatever church you grew up in. Mm-hmm. But do we ever ask, how does God want to be worshiped himself? Yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. And then he, he shows us, I think, in that Romans chapter 12, and it's the deal. If our worship is logical, if it's rational, if it's uh, holy and acceptable to God, it's going to change the way that we think. It's going to transform our mind, and then that's going to help us live out the will of God, understand the will of God, and live out the will of God in our day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> that's why a gospel-shaped liturgy makes a lot of sense, forms us into gospel-centered disciples, prepares us to live our everyday life in the real world. And there's... I got a real-world example of this. So... A couple, about a month ago or a couple months ago, there was a school board meeting at my kid's school board, or my kid's school, a Christian school, but it's full of a bunch of different churches, right? And um, different churches create different types of disciples, hmm. bottom line. And when you're in a Christian school and you're rubbing shoulders with different Christians, you can kind of tell you know, what their liturgy looks like or what their service looks like or what the what kind of gospel that church preaches looks or feels like. And there was, and, and sometimes even in Christian board, mem- board meetings and town hall meetings and all this kind of stuff, people can get pretty passionate and pretty uh, hot and bothered and people pretty frustrated, especially, you know, cultural climate of today with mask mandates and all this stuff. And um, Dr. Alex got a little, got a little hot on... Uh, on one answer, on one, somebody had said something and kind of, it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't rational. It wasn't logical. And so at, I think first Alex was kind of, Alex did say something like, Hey, hold on. Could you please answer that without the emotion? <laughs> he was just kind of like, could you be rational and stop, you know, just using emotional appeals here. And he, I, and then, and then that he said that and he kind of said it pretty, pretty bluntly. And, the person answered or whatever. And then I think, and then he realized he had, he had probably offended that person. And so then when he, he went like a minute later, he goes, he comes to speak up again and he says, Hey, hey first, hold on. I just want to apologize to, and he said this to you and to you, that was rude. The way that I responded there, I, I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. I repent for that. Will you please forgive me? And they, they forgive him right there. And then he goes on to his next question. And, Rob later goes, that was a big moment in that board meeting where you could see our liturgy 
in real life, like how it's had an effect. Mm. That Alex, you know, he's still passionate, still pushing an issue and arguing for truth, but yet he realized he stepped over the line and he unnecessarily offended and probably sinned against someone. And reflexively, he just owned it, repented for a sin, and then moved on. He didn't cry about it in the corner and go kick rocks for the rest of the week and frustrated that he, he, he showed himself to be a sinner. He's, he, knew he's, he knows he's a sinner. Yeah. Week in and week out, we confess our sins. Yeah. And then we move right on because God's absolved us of our sins. He's forgive, forgiven us. We're not to grovel in the dust. But, you, but people that don't confess their sins regularly in the corporate gathering, um, they will fight tooth and nail to admit that they're a sinner. They will not believe that they're a sinner. There's no way I did it. You don't know my heart. There's, I didn't do... And they'll just fight because they can't handle owning their sin. Yeah. And that's, that's because one of the reasons is because their liturgy doesn't lead them to do that. Now, going through the motions, a kid can go through the motions of a liturgical worship service their whole life and never be changed by it. Mm-hmm. You have to think about it. You have to have your heart changed by grace, but this is a means of grace that the Holy Spirit uses to form us into gospel-centered disciples. So yeah. I talked about in the sermon, um, <clears throat> we can forget why we do what we do. We got to go back and remember it. You know, that's part of experiencing gospel renewal is going back and remembering why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Oh, come on. My favorite illustration was Buddy. at the end. What? When you said buddy like five, 15 times. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I must have totally blanked that. Uh-huh. I was saying buddy? Yeah. In the second service or first? Second service. <laughs> when I was talking about what? I think you were uh, talking about, uh, I guess, the heart um, towards a person that is kind of like sitting back during um, people that are coming down the aisle and they're, you know, giving their life to Christ or, you know, they're asking for repentance and the pastor is saying, come on down. And then the person that is, you know, sitting back waiting just kind of relaxing and just like, oh, it's not me. Ooh, I knew that guy was a sinner. I knew he was going to go down there. Um, but at the same time, the heart posture could be um, the same with the person that is saying that they're a sinner than the person that's sitting back and um, pretty much saying that, oh, it's it's those people. So there's yeah. two heart issues. But yeah. then you kind of explain more and more, and then you just kind of kept saying buddy. I remember like I kept saying times. buddy. I must have been in character because I can't totally can't remember saying the word buddy. <laughs> he said character. I, literally. Because sometimes I just tell stories, you know, like that, and yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I take a whatever, kind of like a, my old self or a character or something. No, I'm talking about the illustration at the end of um, from Lord of the Rings. Oh, jeez. And uh, did you ever finish that book, by the way? Yeah. All right, good. <clears throat> cultured man <laughs> uh, from the story of of Frodo taking the ring and he's up on and he up on Weathertop and he so first off he's carrying this heavy burden and then he has to fight these wicked spirits these ring wraiths <clears throat> and uh, he takes a mortal wound right mm-hmm. and he's ba- basically gonna die but he gets swept up by an elf and carried off to Rivendell and Basically, he almost dies, almost dies on Weathertop and wakes up in Rivendell. Mm-hmm. And Rivendell is a place <clears throat> that the curse kind of hasn't made its way into yet. Yeah. Evil hasn't made its way into yet. It's a, it's a, it's a refuge. Uh, it's a safe place. 
and the elves have healing power there to heal, uh, heal this mortal wound, right? Nobody else in the world can do it, but the elves can heal this power. But it's almost beyond their power, but they still do it. Mm-hmm. And this idea, this, this, this <clears throat> idea of carrying a heavy burden, being worn out, being over your, you know, in over your head, taking a mortal wound, but then, and kind of going to sleep and then waking up in Rivendell. Mm-hmm. I said, that's what it feel, should feel like when you come in on Sunday morning. That all week long, you've been carrying the heavy burden. You've been fighting battles and, you know, uh, fighting even spiritual battles mm-hmm. and maybe even taking mortal wounds. But you come in on Sunday morning and the first thing you hear is the gospel and you're, you wake up in Rivendell. Yeah. And mm-hmm. God is here to mend your, knee, mend your wounds. God is here to heal you. God is here to strengthen you. Uh, God is here to put steel in your spine. Uh, Jesus is going to meet you and feed you and sit down and, and fellowship with you. Uh, but you can't stay in Rivendell, mm-hmm. right? The benediction is going to send you right back out into the world because you've got a mission to accomplish. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So are you against reading um, like Harry Potter? No, Harry Potter's okay. Not as, not even close to being as good as... Um, it's it's not, it's like... Like Harry Potter is easier to read. Yeah. It's a kid's book. It's mm-hmm. easier to read. There's just not as... I mean... The, the amount of depth in Lord of the Rings. You can read Harry Potter, to me, I mean, hope people read it more. You can read Harry Potter like twice, in my opinion. And, um, and it's fun. And there are, there are some, some depth, and there are even some gospel allusions and things. Yeah. But Lord of the Rings, you can read once a year. Mm. And, like, I still keep finding, like what I just said, you know, like, um, I had never thought of that before. And um, I thought it fit perfectly in the pastoral welcome, mm. you know, the sermon for the pastoral welcome. So, well, Corey did say you have it on your bookshelf next to your bed. So you I do. I don't. <laughs> it never leaves there. All right. Well, if you have any questions for us, please email me, Justin Dean at sacredcitychurch.com. We love you. Hopefully, this has been a blessing to you. God bless. Mm-hmm.